It's a Friday. You got a solo Spain. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We got a lot of fun guests joining us tonight to talk MLB's second half, pressing NFL questions. We continue our two-a-days, and we celebrate the great Tim Kirkshen ahead of a big honor this weekend. But let's start with a little bit of some leftovers from yesterday. We talked a lot about Kyler Murray's contract, mostly about how it got done and the questions that it answered for the Cardinals ahead of the start of camp. But let's move on from the questions that were answered and on to the ones that are now prompted by this signing. And I have a few. One goes back to the very beginning when Kyler Murray was inspired to archive his photos on Instagram, something us olds learned when he did it because we thought he deleted everything. We were like, wow, bold move. That's a lot of content, bro. And then we found out that you can archive it and then bring it right back. Say when you sign a massive $230 million point, sorry, $230.5 million contract and you want to flood back all those wonderful memories of your team. But think back to when he was archiving that stuff and that vibe that we got between Kyler and the Cardinals and the report from Chris Mortensen that said he was described, Kyler, as self-centered immature and a finger pointer that he's frustrated with the franchise embarrassed by their playoff loss to the Rams and thinks that he has been framed as the scapegoat. Now a whole lot of conversation and a whole lot of negotiating has been done since then. The question is, do you walk into camp as a football fan, as a Cardinals fan, as a teammate, as Kyler, or as any member of that staff front office ownership, Believing that that was all's fair in love and contract negotiating, none of that was true. Someone leaked it to try to lower his value or potentially scare him into taking a lesser deal or to try to mute those sayings, those those uh, narratives in advance and just get the deal done. Or do we believe that that's really the truth via the sources that gave Mortensen that information? Because if it is, that's not fixed by this contract unless you believe someone gets less self-centered when they get $230.5 million. So there's that to figure out. And Kyler, in his presser, after signing that huge deal, addressed it a little bit. This is where I want to be. Uh, I made that, you know, uh, made that clear. You know, more so the bad days I'm talking about, the, just the negativity of taking the heat. I'm a quiet dude when it comes to social media and stuff like that. So um, just to be able to, you know, sit there and, you know, take all the shots and stuff like that, it, you know, it is what it is. But I understood, you know, uh, this, this is part of the business. Um, obviously, you know, I let them take care of what they need to take care of. I just, you know, I, I love the game of football, and that's, you know, that's, that's my, uh, my goal is, like I said, to win championships. I would personally like to find the person who invented it is what it is and give them a swift kick to the no-no places uh, because it is the easiest way to address without addressing at all a serious situation. It is what it is means absolutely nothing. Uh, and so we didn't get much from Kyler on what it felt like to have those things said about him and returning to a team in a camp where he might be wondering where that's coming from or perhaps knows. Either way, Kyler gets what he wants. He gets the second most guaranteed money per year behind only Aaron Rodgers. He gets 0.5 more than Deshaun Watson in total money. Nobody's getting that guaranteed money. That's a conversation for another time. And now we move on to the next deal, which is Lamar Jackson. Bart Scott, uh, who was on first take today, said he believes that Lamar will get a good deal but won't get a whole bunch of fully guaranteed money. 
But I would say if I'm Lamar Jackson, okay, if Kyler Murray set the floor and Deshaun Watson sets the, the ceiling, then I need something in between because I believe I'm a better player than Kyler Murray. I'm an MVP. I'm more accomplished. I need about 25% more guarantees on that, which will put him at about like 185, 190, which will still shatter and be $30 million or $40 million more than Aaron Rodgers, who we consider as the best player. Uh, quarterback in the league but the Ravens don't operate that way when Lamar Jackson plays a brand of football that could potentially get injured and they will never hand, um, handcuff themselves that way long term yeah I mean the, the guaranteed money is huge and it's something that finally as the media we are talking about um, more accurately when we talk about contracts and and recognizing the importance I don't think that Lamar Jackson solely wants closer to Deshaun's guaranteed money, though. I think he looks at Kyler and says, I'm better, so I should get more per year and more guaranteed. That's how this works. There's a whole bunch of people making more money than Pat Mahomes now. Not because they're better, but because their contract came up later. The timing of it all is what matters. Now, Deshaun Watson's situation sort of threw a wrench in things, and as we heard then and probably has been repeated numerous times since by front offices and owners across the league, they are not happy with the Browns for that deal and what it did to the quarterback market. But that ship has sailed. I think Lamar's going to want more than that and will not settle for just that. And worth noting, Kyler Murray is a mobile quarterback too, and he is a wee little man. Lamar Jackson's big injury happened while he was in the pocket, so we can certainly be realistic about the potential for injury for a player who plays like Lamar Jackson and uses his legs and, and is on the run as much as he is, but Kyler Murray's a small guy, and he is on the run a whole lot. So I don't think that is an easy comparison to say you feel a whole lot safer tying yourself to Kyler for this length, but not to Lamar. Lamar stuff still yet to be seen. But the answer seems to be, if you want it as a quarterback and you are good to great, you will get it. We do this every time with every quarterback, and there are very few. Baker Mayfield might be one of the few where it didn't work out for him. A bunch of things had to happen for him to not get what he wanted, wait it out, and then still not get it. Most of the time it works, even for someone like Dak Prescott who got hurt. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance, a triple threat of protection with home, auto, and more. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, second half of the MLB season is officially underway, and our next guest is going to help us break down the key storylines. It's Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That's the good stuff on a Friday. It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Ah, uh, my fellow Cornellian, Big Red, coming in strong on a Friday night. It's June Lee, ESPN MLB writer. You can follow him at June Lee. June, I had a fantastic time back on uh, the old college campus, throwing down with Bill Nye, the science guy, looking around for gorges. <laughs> it was a good time. It was a reunion was a good time. Uh, yours will be coming in uh, 20-something years. Um, let's get into <laughs> the second half of this MLB season. We just talked on Around the Horn today about uh, the Yankees and a potential meeting down the road with the Astros. They officially lost the season series and had a batting average for the season against the Astros of 151, which is a solid proof for alcohol if you're going to light a shot on fire and blow flames if we're back at Cornell. Not a great batting average. Is that something you're worried about, or are you like Booney saying, ah, doesn't matter, we'll see him come October? Yeah, I'm a little bit less concerned just because I think that, you know, last year, you know, years before, doesn't really have a ton of effect on this team because I think this team, this Yankees team in particular, um, has been a level of consistency that 
we haven't seen from this particular core of players um, in a you know in a really long time. I think that we've seen a rotation that has been really really consistent, a bullpen that's been consistent, a lineup that's been consistent. So, you know, come October, I really do believe that anything can happen. Like you know, any wild card team can win the World Series, and so I really don't put that much weight in you know the Yankees dropping the season series. You know, despite all all the history that kind of has built up with the Astros of the, over the last uh, few few years. So you're not concerned at all about the potential that now that the Astros have the edge there, um, a really what could be a super tight uh, CS series could end up with home games for Houston, uh, a team that they have no answers for thus far. I mean, I, there there is a level of concern that you might have because of the home field advantage part, but I do think that this Yankees team. As it currently stands right now, and maybe this will, this picture will change, you know, by by the time we get to September, just because uh, you know teams that play well in June and July aren't necessarily playing the same as they are in September. But just given the way that the Yankees have been up up until this point in the season, I don't think it matters home or away. Like this is a team that, regardless of the environment, regardless of where they're playing, uh, can win a game on any night. I mean, they've shown multiple times over the course of the year that. Uh, it doesn't matter the size of the lead. They have a chance of coming back just given the strength of that bullpen, given the strength of the rotation, the pitchers as a whole, and how good that lineup has been, especially Aaron Judge throughout the course of this entire season so far. June Lee is with me here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN MLB writer. We'll move on to another team, but very quickly, what is your concern, if there are any then, for the Yankees? And do you think they need to think about adding a Soto or a Castillo or somebody at the trade deadline? I, I mean, I would always say with any playoff team is pitching. You can never have enough pitching, especially in the bullpen. You know, as good as Clay Holmes and Michael King have been so far this year, uh, that, you know, the kind of fatigue of innings and all that stuff adds up over the course of the year. We saw Nestor Cortez start to struggle a little bit compared to where he was at the beginning of the season, um, and, and the Yankees are watching his innings. Um, and so I don't think you can ever have enough pitching. In regards to Juan Soto, I personally don't believe that the Yankees – uh, need to go out and get him. Obviously, it would be great for you know that that line to have a uh, hitter as good as Soto. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of excitement around Anthony Volpe, uh, you know, top prospect in, in that organization. Um, you know, heading into the future, um, it's going to take an enormous package to get Soto. And I just uh, even for the Nationals too, like I'm not sure that there's going to be a package that, that team is going to be willing to offer that justifies giving up Soto at this point. Let's talk about Soto, and June Lee is with me here talking the second half of baseball on Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain tonight on a Friday. Where do you think his location might be? Where might he end up? And do you think it's wise for the Nationals to let him go? I mean, I think the Nationals are, might be better off at this current point, just at least holding on to him for one more year. He's got two and a half years left on his contract. Um, and I just, given Soto's age of 23, and, you know, the, the – lack of kind of historical precedent that you have for a guy being as good as Soto is at his age. Um, I, I just don't think that there's going to be a ton of teams that are going to be able to, you know, put together a package and feel good about giving up a package to go out and get one guy because of, as we've seen with the Los Angeles Angels, you know, having Mike Trout and Shoyo Otani will only get you so much. You know, if you get rid of your entire organizational depth to get a Juan Soto for the next two and a half years, you might be putting yourself in a worse position as good as, as Soto is, um, you know, across the board, I mean, the, the philosophy I think that the Rays have taken that spread across baseball is trying to have as much depth across all of the positions. And, you know, as, as good as Juan Soto is, like having that depth is also incredibly important. And, you know, the, the pressure of having – the lack of pressure in having a guy at, at his age and the value that he brings to a team, I, I just don't think that 
given the two and a half years left, um, there's going to be many teams that are going to be able to put together a deal unless they want to give up their entire farm system uh, to go out and get one. So that will justify the Nationals giving him up, uh, especially given the fact that they're in the middle of a sale right now. And so is the most valuable player on that team uh, and will probably help determine um, the value of the Nationals organization uh, when they eventually do sell. Yeah, since the start of the 20th century, the only two players with a better career on base percentage than Soto's 427 through age 23 are Ted Williams and shoeless Joe Jackson. This is a guy that's doing things at that age that we honestly haven't really seen before. And you're right, if the package isn't right, then it's even more of a colossal failure to, to let him go. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what teams show up with uh, for Soto and the Nats. It's Spain and Fitz talking to June Lee about the second half of the baseball season. I love the Mariners story for a couple of reasons. One, because I want Mina Kimes to be happy because she deserves it. Also, <laughs> because I love the changing of the guard when it comes to narratives that cross over from just one sport. My Chicago Cubs, when they won a couple years ago, a bunch of late night, you know, hosts had to rewrite the jokes that they always just slot in for the most pathetic and futile attempt to succeed uh, that they had for over a century. Now, it hasn't been that long for the Mariners, but they do have the longest playoff drought of any of the four major men's professional teams in the U.S. Right now, I think it's a 676 playoff likelihood. This is a team that's won 14 straight. Tell me they can keep it going. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on whether or not Julio Rodriguez is going to be able to make it through an entire major league season consistently. Um, just given the fact that you know this is a team that borderline made the playoffs last year, and I think you know they were really depending on Rodriguez to be the guy that took this team over the top. And he's not only you know, lived up to expectations; I think he's really, really exceeded them. I mean, he leads the team in WAR right now with 3.6. He's hitting 275, 337. You know, 16 homers. Like, he's a guy who, if the Mariners are in the playoff picture by the end of the season, could find his way into the, uh, you know, the MVP conversation as well, just given how dynamic he is on both sides of the baseball. You know, I think a big factor for the Mariners, too, is whether or not Robbie Ray continues to kind of keep up what he's uh, done in the kind of the second half of the first half. I mean, through, throughout the, the beginning of the season, you know, Ray was obviously a big free agent signing coming over to Toronto and, uh, you know, winning the Cy Young Award last year. Um, he struggled at the beginning of the year, and he was able to turn things around to get his ERA, ERA uh, back down to around three and a half. Um, and so I think those are the two big X factors on top of just the guys staying healthy. Um, but this is a, a team that you know knows what it's like to play in big games down the stretch now. They have the experience. I think they have the two kind of top-end talent guys that take this team from a borderline playoff team to a team that can you know make the playoffs. And you know once you get to October, who knows what happens. I think the Phillies need to look out. The Phillies are next in line in baseball, and I think it's the Jets. Uh, the Jets, the Kings, the Sabres. Jets are only at 10 years, but uh, I think that's the longest for football. I think the Sacramento Kings got to be up there, um, but they, they better watch yeah, their back. Quarterback, like I'm not sure that the Jets are going anywhere anytime right <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that we could we could just tack another year up on that. Uh, June Lee is with me here on Spain and Fitz. Hey, before I let you go, what's another storyline you're looking for in the second half? I didn't ask you about. I think you know this is me being a total Boston homer and an East Coast biased ESPN baseball reporter, but I do think the Red Sox are pretty fascinating just because they kind of slumped into the second half. Chris Sale injured his pinky, and there's a growing amount of heat at least you know just among the fan base right now uh, towards Heim Bloom and the front office in regards to, you know, what is happening just this season, also beyond because the farm system hasn't necessarily kind of, you know, provided the players that they really need to kind of 
take this team to the next level. Bobby Dalbeck, that their first baseman, has really struggled. Um, and, and I think the, the, the two large things that loom over this is the Mookie Betts trade still because guys like Alex Verdugo haven't you know, panned down the way that people expected. And kind of tying that into the contract situation of Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts, it seems like Bogarts is going to hit free agency. You know, Mookie, Xander, and, and Rafi are three players that the fan base absolutely adores. And it seems like the front office has lowballed them. And if, if the Red Sox start to get a reputation where this front office isn't going to be paying for guys, um, especially with a team that has much of a payroll as, as the Red Sox and, and the Fenway Sports Group has, um, it's going to be a really, really weird situation. I think, you know, kind of unprecedented in, during the John Henry ownership era for, for this Boston team, um, just because this is a really talented roster and, and they're not living up to their talent potential at this current moment. All right, 30 seconds or less. I hate to do it to you, but 30 seconds or less. Give me a thought on Tim Kirkshen going to uh, Cooperstown this weekend. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, Tim has been one of the kindest people that I think I've met uh, in the entire baseball writing industry. Um, I think the first time I met him, he was at, like, Red Sox spring training, and uh, he, he just went on a, you know, was, it was like talking to, like, a baseball encyclopedia, and, you know, <laughs> he told me to ask, ask him if, if I needed any help to, to always give him a call. Um, you know, he is as nice a person as he seems uh, on television. And, you know, I, I think both of us, we've, we've met enough people to know that's not, that's not always the case. But I was so glad to find out uh, that Tim is exactly who you, you expect him to be. Uh, he's exactly the guy that you see on television. I think it's, a, it's an absolute blessing to, to be able to work with a guy like him. Very well said. Thanks, June. Thanks, Sarah. June Lee, Cornell awesome, grad. Thank you, June. Thanks. Most- Have a good one. June Lee chatted with them right before the show. Most importantly, he's a Cornell grad, but also an ESPN MLB writer on top of all of the news as we head into this second half. And I'm kind of surprised he's not worried at all about the Yankees Astros. Again, I get that the Yankees have been fantastic, but come on. 151 as a batting average for the season against them. That's their lowest batting average against an opponent for the season in franchise history. I've got that in the back of my head a little bit as I'm heading to uh, potential postseason matchups with Houston. That's all I'm saying. You could tune in to an NL battle tomorrow night as the Mets host the Padres, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. I would like all the Mets fans out there to, you know, give me some applause for managing not to throw them under the bus during that interview and proclaim them likely to fail. Uh, which I normally do. NFL two days kick off next with the Bucks. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. This is ESPN Radio's NFL two days. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm happy I'm back. Happy I'm back with my teammates, and uh, it's going to be a great year. We cannot doubt a Tom Brady led team, but yes, Gronk not being there is a big issue for them. The touchdown to interception ratio of 48 to zero with Gronk on the field in the red zone, that is something that we can't take lightly. Third, if I had to guess right now, I mean, I think the Rams are clearly the team to beat to bring so much back from a championship team that beat the Bucs last year and knocked them out of the playoff. I think the Packers are right there. You can make a good case for the Bucs as a solid third. Two a days continue. We're getting to the good teams here. We started from the bottom. Now we're here at Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain tonight. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Let's get to Ronnie. Night Train Lane, co-host of the Ronnie and T-Kras. Is that how you say it, Ronnie? T-Kras Show? Exactly. Sarah, you nailed it. Ronnie and T-Kras Show, 95.3 WDAE and AM 620. 
Ronnie, I want to start with something that I don't think we're talking about enough. And it's that allegedly during the offseason, Tom Brady tried to retire, leave the Bucks, join the Dolphins, <laughs> be a part of the front office, uh, collude with a coach who's now suing the league, and everyone's just like, yeah, so how do we think the Bucks are going to be? Um, what, what's happening? <laughs> well, Brady, uh, obviously, and he has admitted, he was indecisive once he decided he was going to retire. He said that was premature. He sort of was, he felt he was just sort of forced into it, family and friends. Who who else knows? I mean, he's he kind of keeps things very close to the vest, so you just you just have to find things out from hearing them from other people, but Obviously, he was not ready to retire. He comes back, and you know we're we're just sitting here going, "It's great we got him back because we had no clue what was going to happen here at quarterback in Tampa Bay without Brady this year." But now it has given everyone a breath of fresh air, and we're feeling great about the chance this season to get back to the playoffs and again compete for another Super Bowl championship. I do love that. Like, if you're just as great as Tom Brady. You could cheat on your lady right in front of her. The lady, of course, being the team here and not Giselle. And they will welcome you right back if Blaine Gabbert is what you're being told is the answer. Or Kyle Trask. Um, Yeah, a wild, wild situation. But he's back and apparently all's forgiven because he's Tom Brady, a Hall of Famer. And it does immediately put you in the conversation to win it all. Is there any other option for how this season ends than a Super Bowl for Brady, this team, and the fans to be satisfied? No, I think it's Super Bowl or bust all the way around. Uh, They have a very good roster. Sort of agree with the assessment that uh, I I can't remember who it was just a second you had on. They have the Bucs third. I have them actually second in the NFC to the defending champion Rams. So, yeah, they've got a very good roster, very good offense. They've got all of those guys coming back that participated and helped win Super Bowl. 55. So I'm looking forward to it. The offensive line's gone through sort of a change because they lost a couple of key guards, but they had a guard who played actually in the Super Bowl and replace of in place of Ali Marpet, who retired uh, rather early, but that's okay. And they picked up Shaq Mason to play the right side, so he's going to be fine. He'll replace Alex Kappa, who has moved on in free agency. And Shaq Mason played with Brady in New England, so they have some familiarity. So that line's going to be good. They've got two outstanding tackles, and of course Ryan Jensen is a monster at center. Yeah, I was going to ask about the offensive line and the changes at guard, but it sounds like you're optimistic, so let's switch gears to the weapons that Tom has. I'm of the opinion that Gronk is going to come back. I'm I'm fairly certain. I would give it about a 90% that Gronk will be back playing. Uh, But let's say he isn't. Can Kyle Rudolph slide in there? I want to say they've got Brady and Gronk have a 48 touchdowns to zero interceptions mark in the red zone over the course of their careers. That's a, that's a tough number to match up to if you're Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, that's and no one's expecting Kyle Rudolph to come in here. Kyle Rudolph to come in here and be Rob Gronkowski because there's only one Rob Gronkowski. In my opinion, he's the greatest tight end to play the game, or at least one of them. So what they're hoping for is a combination of Kyle Rudolph. They drafted a kid that they're very high on. Kate Otten, who is 6'5", I don't know, he, he seems to be a tremendous athlete. He, he broke his ankle in college in his last year at college, but he has completely healed and he has been cleared to start practice actually tomorrow. The rookies report tomorrow. So they expect this guy to not only be able to block, but to also be able to catch the ball. He's got great hands. And, of course, Cameron Brait is back, quite familiar with Tom Brady. He was a guy 
who saved the Super Bowl trophy in the boat parade. How about that? <laughs> yeah, got good hands, regardless of the uh, make of the football, I guess. Ronnie Night Train Lane is with me. You can follow him at Ronnie NTL. We're talking Bucks as two-a-days continue. The coaching change, obviously, allegedly is partly what precipitated the move for Tom Brady to retire and then return. It feels like he probably won some sort of power struggle with Bruce Arians, although everybody will deny that. And Bruce has a, a an office at the facility and he's still around. That gives us, uh, you know, a, a new core, a, a new coach that, you know, Tom Brady obviously has a good relationship with, obviously knows well, but to underestimate the impact that Arians had on this team and just presume that Todd Bowles will be able to replicate that, I think, is is premature. Uh, some are feeling that way, but that coaching staff is really, really tight. And as you mentioned, Bruce Arians is still in the building, so if things with Brady and Leftwich, if they have some questions, they want to run something by Bruce, he's going to be right there for them to do so. But it's really, the offense is really all Leftwich and Brady. So I am not that concerned about Todd Bowles taking over as a head coach because obviously he's coached before. He didn't have nearly the weapons and team that he has now here in Tampa Bay when he's coaching with the New York Jets. So I'm happy for Todd Bowles. I think this is a great opportunity for him to prove what kind of a head coach he can be in the National Football League. Absolutely. And you rarely, especially as a black head coach, get an opportunity a second time around with a roster like this. Also great for him, as you mentioned, that so much of that coaching staff remains intact because they all worked under uh, under Arians and a lot of them have stuck around. Um, but I, I, I'm always hesitant to not put enough weight into what it is to be a team leader in addition to you know, calling plays and, and, and strategy X's and O's. Uh, and Bruce Arians very clearly has been great at that over the course of his career. It's Spain and Fit, Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, talking to Ronnie Night Train Lane, co-host of the Ronnie and T-Crash show on 95.3 WDAE and AM 620. Leonard Fournette, what are your expectations this year? And has he been treated fairly as he gets back into action here? Yeah, there was that rumor going around that he was severely overweight. I don't know where that started, how that got rolling. Like six weeks ago, someone saw him and said, man, Leonard looks fat. But I just saw a picture of Leonard, I think, yesterday on Instagram. Recent photo. He looked great to me. Leonard's going to be fine. I think he's going to come in here and have a great season. And what I'm looking forward to is the kid they drafted in the third round out of Arizona State, Rashad White. Because this kid can catch the ball. He can run routes. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of relationship he develops with the great Tom Brady. But Leonard Fournette's going to be fine. Rashard White, their uh, third-round pick that I was talking to you about, I think he's going to have a, a nice season as well behind that offensive line and working with Tom Brady. I'll tell you, if there's any co quarterback or teammate in general, I don't want to show up to camp overweight playing next to it's Tom Brady, a guy who has uh, been willing to dedicate this many years of his life to the kind of dedication to fitness and, and health uh, that really is unparalleled. So I'm sure even if he did have a couple extra LBs, Fournette's going to fix that as quick as possible before the real work gets going. Hey, Ronnie, appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the weekend. Thank you, Sarah. Take care of yourself. Ronnie Night Train Lane at Ronnie NTL is where you can follow him on Twitter. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Get renter's insurance to protect the things that make your place a home, including coverage for theft or damage. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, two of the best competitors in all of sports 
might be playing against each other for the last time. We'll get into that story and more. Quickies, next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz on a Friday. Solo Spain on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Thanks for hanging out with me. We're going to get into our second half of our two-a-days. We're going to talk some baseball. We're going to talk some good Tim Kirkshin stories. Uh, but we got a lot to get to, and we got a weekend ahead of us, so we don't have much time, which means quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. Nothing fast about the careers of Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, the longtime friends, two goats, depending on how you view their careers, lengthy careers in in basketball, in the WNBA, and beyond, Olympics and otherwise. Uh, They will face off potentially for the last time at the Footprint Center in Phoenix, 10 Eastern tonight. It'll be the 46th time that the two have played against each other. That ties a WNBA record for regular season meetings between two players. There was a really, really fantastic back and forth on social media today between the official accounts of the Mercury and the Storm going back and forth. Some of the highlights, some of the moments, a lot of trash talking. Um, these two gals met during a recruiting trip to UConn, and uh, they've been friends for 20-plus years and two of the best players ever to suit up. The Mercury are going to honor Sue Bird because she has announced that this is her last year and this is this is it. Whereas Tarasi, she she hasn't quite made a decision yet. She's 40 years old, um, and she's talking about, you know, talk to our own Josh Weinfuss about how she's watched Sue be so happy thinking about the retirement coming up and what she'll spend her time doing and everything, that Dinah's maybe thinking about it too. And she's going to be a free agent at the end of this season. So um, I would think that DT might want to do the victory lap after seeing Sue do it, but DT's pretty private and and pretty famously so. So she might just want to go out in style, depending how things go for that Mercury team. Uh, But tee it up. 10 Eastern tonight. It's going to be a great one. And when those two get on the court, they are not friends. (laughs) Notably so. So check it out. All right, next story. Quickies. Speaking of the Storm and the WNBA, they lost on Wednesday to my Chicago Sky. I was in attendance for the game. It was one of those camps games that are at 11 a.m. to allow hundreds of squealing children to attend. Happy for the kids. Happy for the next generation to get into WNBA games. Not so happy for my eardrums. I'm going to go with birth control on the camps day. And uh, you can at me in the menchies all you want with your cute kiddos. I'm just going to tell you, go to an 11 a.m. WNBA camps game and try to tell me that's a good decision on your behalf. Uh, But the more important thing is the Sky won, even with Courtney Vandersloot out for the last couple games in concussion protocol. Hopefully she'll be back soon. This is a very different Sky team with Sloot not out there. But they have been fantastic this season. And a lot of people last year were surprised when the Sky didn't have a great regular season record and stormed through the playoffs to win it all. Those who were watching regularly were not surprised. Candace Parker was out for, I think, 13 games right in the middle of the regular season. And that's when they had their swoon. CP came back, and that team was on a mission, and she has been healthy this year. They added Emma Miesemann, another WNBA Finals MVP in the offseason. They are firing in all cylinders, and they are dangerous. They won their 20th on Wednesday with that victory over the Storm, the first to clinch a playoff spot, and are likely to go on to have the highest winning percentage in franchise history. So keep an eye out for my sky. And Fitz's aces don't have any depth, so uh, don't keep an eye out for them. All right, next story. Quickies. Uh, MLB second half, lots of stories to get to. And, you know, uh, you can obviously 
go to the Buster Oldies and the Tim Kirksons and the June Lees for the very in-depth breakdowns. What you're going to get here right now in quickies is some tremendous sound from Aaron Boone, who is such a red ass and he is so mad that we are even asking about the fact that they got swept in a doubleheader to the Astros, that they lost the season series to the Astros, that their team batting percentage against the Astros is 151 for the season, not to mention the fact that they did not lead for a single pitch in any game versus Houston. Not a single pitch did they have the lead. Aaron Boone, not concerned. The narrative's not going to change, Dan, until you beat them in the playoffs if, if that day comes. I mean, we beat them four out of six last year, and they didn't hold leads. Where'd that get us? It, I understand it's a big story. I understand the season we're in. <laughs> It's not going to matter unless October. So we're going to, if we if we happen to come back here in October, we're going to show up. We're going to expect to win. We think we're really good. They're really good. Don't overstate this. Don't overstate this. Uh, what comes to mind, of course, methinks thou doth protest too much. If it didn't matter, if you weren't worried, if you were just going to go ahead and trounce them in October when it matters most, I think you would have had maybe a little different tone in that response. Sounds like you might be a little worried. And listen, the Yankees have been fantastic, and Boone has been at the helm for this incredible season thus far. But, man, I would be heading into a potential ALCS really worried about how poorly my team has hit, really wondering uh, if if it's if this series and and the way it planned out in the regular season is going to rear its ugly head in the postseason, all right. Next story. Quickies. This is a heartwarming but ultimately very sad story. The need for this, uh, but it was revealed that among the many anonymous donors who covered the costs for families of the victims of Uvalde, Texas, the 19 children and two teachers killed in that school massacre, among those anonymous donors was Bo Jackson. Um, Bo Jackson, who has said that he's driven through Uvalde many times to get a bite to eat or grab some groceries on his way out to visit a friend's ranch further out west. And he said he knew that he knew the town. He knew the area and he felt very moved by what happened there in a, in a quote to the press. He said, I don't know if it's because I'm getting old. He's a father of three, by the way, and a grandfather as he's nearing 60 years old. He said, but it's just not right for parents to bury their kids. It's just not right. I know every family there probably works their butt off just to do what they do. The last thing they needed was to shell out thousands of dollars for something that never should have happened. So an incredible move from Bo Jackson. He and a friend flew out to Uvalde, met with Governor Greg Abbott, presented a check for $170,000 with an offer to pay for all funeral expenses. Um, and that was announced as an anonymous donation during uh, a previous presser. So Bo Jackson's name out there now as one of those who stepped up in this time of need. And I had don't have much uh, experience with Bo Jackson, but um, did a lengthy interview with him years ago. And what a kind-hearted soul. What a nice person. What an egoless person for the greatness of, of Bo Jackson. And uh, it's showing there. All right. Next story. Quickies. So I'm going to talk Tim Kirkshen later in the show. Um, I have some incredible Tim Kirkshen stories. One involves a nightmare and a down winter coat. One involves a collapsing shelf. Another involves screaming into the woods. You'll have to stick around for all of those. Tim Kirkshen is as good a storyteller as he is a baseball reporter, and that is really saying something. So I'll save Tim Kirkshen for later. But he is part of this weekend's uh, 2022 Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Cooperstown. He'll get the BBWAA Career Excellence Award. 
Um, he'll be alongside Jack Graney, posthumously honored with the Ford Frick Award, and then the Baseball Writers Association of America electees, uh, uh, David Ortiz, is going to join the Golden Days Committee electees, Gil Hodges, Jim Cat, Minnie Minoso, and Tony o Oliva. Um, and then Bud Fowler and Buck O'Neill uh, will be at the uh, induction ceremony uh, from the early baseball era committee electees. It's hard to keep track with baseball. They've got a bunch of committees now, but all of those folks will be a part of the ceremonies in Cooperstown this weekend. And uh, congratulations to all of them. There were some really great memories, uh, especially of, of guys like David Ortiz on the air today here at ESPN Radio. And I'm certain Tim Kirkshen's speech, Inevitable Tears and Otherwise, will be making the rounds after this weekend. Uh, we'll get to that a little more later. Next story. Quickies. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80 on a Friday, doing some quickies. The last one, the Rams Super Bowl rings have made it out. And Clinton Yates on Around the Horde today described them as understated. And somehow that's actually a little bit accurate, despite the endless diamonds and the fact that the ring has a retractable roof. But to be fair... Compared to some of the other rings, it is a little bit more manageable. And if I were to win a national championship, a Super Bowl, an NBA title, whatever might allow me to wear a giant ring, I would want it to be something that might not concuss me if I accidentally uh, touch my head with it or that might not weigh me down so much that I would fall over while walking. And some of the recent designs seem to be going a little too far in that direction. So this is a little more understated, but it's still... It still has 20 carats of white diamonds set on a white and yellow gold ring to represent the official opening of SoFi Stadium in 2020. It also has a logo on the front with blue and yellow sapphires, the Lombardi Trophy, and two palm trees, which is my favorite part. I miss palm trees from when I lived in L.A., so I love the vibes of the palm trees on the ring. Then there's a removable top, and inside is a view of SoFi. And it has an actual piece of Super Bowl LVI game ball in it and has actual turf from the 2020-2021 seasons in that field. Now, Izzy Gutierrez said he didn't want to waste any time with grass when you could have more diamonds. I'm here for the grass. I'm not going to pass on grass is what I'm saying. Uh, and I liked it. And I want to ask you, if your favorite team were to win a ring like this, what three elements, you can only have three, would you want represented somewhere on the ring? You can hit me up at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz. We'll get to that a little bit later. Coming up, do contract discussions always work out for the best quarterbacks? We'll talk to Kevin Clark of The Ringer about that and more when he joins us next. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Friday, solo Spain, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Much appreciate a couple other shows on ESPN getting Kevin ready for the big show, Spain and Fitz, here on ESPN <laughs> Radio. Making the rounds. Might as well be a car wash. You didn't have to go to Bristol for it. It's the Ringer senior writer joining me here to talk a little NFL. Um, I was of the impression that the Cardinals really had no choice with Kyler Murray. When you've got a great quarterback or a very good quarterback, overpaying is uh, much less of an issue or problem than not having a quarterback at all that you mm -hmm. can win with. But Mike Tannenbaum says, listen, they had another year and they could have franchise tagged him the year after that. They could have gotten a better look at who he is. So did they make the right move? They did in a sense that this is the cost of doing business. Um, this will always be the cost of doing business. Any team that wants to play the franchise tag game, you saw Dallas with Dak Prescott, they lose. Stare downs end in losses for teams unless 
the bottom completely falls out, like Cleveland this time last year, and Baker Mayfield is unsignable, and you have to trade him on a fifth-year option. Um, my, my feeling on quarterback contracts in general, Sarah, is it's like Manhattan real estate. When I moved to the city, 2011, 2012, I'm looking at you know, condo prices, and I'm saying, hey, that, that's way too much. There's going to be a bubble. And there never is. I would have killed to be in at those prices at this point compared to what it is now. Quarterback value always goes up. Um, I had a, a funny conversation with Thomas Dimitrov, the Falcons GM, a couple of years ago. They made Matt Ryan, I think it was in 2018, the first $30 million quarterback. And I joked with him. I was in his office, and I said, you know, that might be a bargain, you know, in a year or two years, three years. And he, he stopped me and said, how long did you say? And I was like, do you mean it's going to be a bargain in a week? And he's like, yeah, it's going to be a bargain in a week. Um, that's just the way this goes. I mean, remember that summer where Matt Stafford and Derek Carr and, and a handful of other quarterbacks took turns being the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL, which means highest-paid player in the NFL? Um, this is just what you do. If you've got a quarterback worth signing to a mega contract, we know what that is, $230 million, which is the Watson total price. Uh, it's about $70 million less guaranteed. That's a, that's a separate discussion on why Watson um, got mm-hmm. the most. But he's going to make in that range of Mahomes and Allen, which just shows you that the price goes up every single year, Sarah. Yeah. By the way, when you're thinking about that real estate in New York, I just want you to always not think about the fact that I got an entire three-story house for your one bedroom in New York. I just don't want you to think about how much better of a city Chicago is for real estate and just general life, because um, I, I think that would make you sad, right? You know, you just got to. Uh, it does. And I just I, I scroll <laughs> Zillow every day wondering why we don't live in about 100 different cities. Well, maybe the Brooklyn Bears is good. not kind. Brooklyn yeah. is not kind. I'll say that. Um, let's talk about Lamar Jackson then. Why are the Ravens yeah. doing this if we know that all that's happening every day and every contract is the price goes up? Lamar is doing it. Um, from what so this is smart for him because it sounds like for a long time he didn't want to be engaged in this. Um, and the closer you get to the open market, as long as you play well, and Lamar is a, a just an unbelievable, breathtaking quarterback who's going to be good um, for a long time. And the closer you get to true free agency, which is hard. You can, you can tag a player three times. Uh, the more it's going to go up. Again, I alluded to Dak Prescott earlier. The Cowboys played that game, and they lost. But by the way, they got Dak under contract to the point that now even that deal is a bargain. The Mahomes deal might end up looking like one of the best contracts in history by the end of it. Um, but Lamar is fascinating to me because only one quarterback's ever reached super agency in the modern era who, who had a, a real market, and that's Kirk Cousins. He ended up getting three years, $84 million guaranteed. And I talked to Rick Seelman right after that deal was done. He said, listen, we had to guarantee it because somebody else would. That somebody else, he didn't say it, but would have been the New York Jets were the other bidder um, in, that, in that, that summer. Um, so uh, if Lamar starts to hint that he wants to play out the franchise tag. And by the way, you end up making the, you know, at the salaries of the top, uh, the top quarterbacks in the NFL. So it's not like you're, you're going to make the league minimum here. You're still going to make $30, $40 million on the, on the, uh, on the tag. If you want to play that game, I remember talking to Kirk Cousins agent right after that. And he said, I think other quarterbacks need to learn that short contracts and the salary and the, uh, and, and the franchise tag can be your friend. Nobody else has learned that since. Um, it's just been, boilerplate contract after boilerplate contract and just sort of, okay, this is what the market rate is. We'll sign it. Um, even some of the like Matt Stafford after a Super Bowl renegotiates and doesn't reset the market. It's just incremental progress. If Lamar Jackson 
gets to a point where he's actually staring down the Ravens and says, I'm not signing anything, that's where you reset the market and you wonder if you can't go from $46 million to, and I'm just making this up, 60. You know, and, and, and that yes. will be true free agency. And that's, you know, Peter right. King wrote a couple of weeks ago that a $100 million quarterback is not far off. Um, that's how it happens. If someone like Lamar Jackson says, you know what? I'm not interested in making $3 million more than Kyler Murray or Josh Allen. I'm more interested in making $20 million more. Yeah, the Kirk Cousins move, but uh, a little bit different. But yeah, that that leap or that change that's you mean better? You mean, you mean he's actually good? Yeah, yeah. Well, with a good quarterback, but uh, Kirk Cousins right. sure has made a nice life for himself, resetting the market sure and, and doing things a little bit a little bit differently. And with Lamar Jackson, the thing that always hangs over everything is, well, what if you get hurt? Well, we saw Dak Prescott get hurt and still get his yeah. money. Um, so it's a risk, but it's it's not a, it's not necessarily a death knell for that big contract if he were to, to get hurt. Kevin Clark of the Ringer is with me here on Spain and Fitz Solo Spain tonight at by Kevin Clark is where you can follow him. I kind of thought the Browns might be in the market for a Jimmy G. I had the Browns yeah. and the Giants, and then they signed Josh Rosen. Is that sort of like a now nah, we're good on on Jimmy G? That doesn't preclude them from from doing anything. Josh Rosen is not the type of guy who's going to be a number two uh, for an entire year for, for a contender. If Deshaun Watson got an entire season, I think they're going to be in the Jimmy G market. And maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, Jimmy G does not have a, a natural landing spot for him to play a full season on a sort of a, a, a prove it year and see what he can get next year. Seattle is not that place. You do not want to go into a Drew Locke, Geno Smith situation on a team that's basically torn it down over the past 12 months mm-hmm. and say, I'm going to be the guy here. Also, who knows if San, Fran- San Francisco would even want to do that, right? Um, I think that if, if he got the runway to play a full season in Cleveland with that roster, with those receivers, with Amari Cooper, with that defense, Kevin Spansky's a very good coach, that would not be the worst thing in the world. I don't know what the market is. I mean, you, you wonder, Sarah, if San Francisco is going to resort to – sort of turning him into Sam Bradford in Philly, which is you just hope for a, a training camp injury and a team that's ready to win now becoming desperate and saying, you know what, we'll give you a first-round pick, we'll get you a second-round pick, we got to solve this quarterback problem. Um, no other team not the is going to be desperate. It's yeah. certainly – exactly, exactly. And so I don't know what his market is unless a market is created in August, and we don't, we don't see that come, frankly. Well, it's Spain and Fitz. We're talking a little NFL. We're doing two-a-days today. we got the Bucks and Niners – on a scale of 1 to 10, so you can't equivocate and you have to put a number on it, how much do you agree with the risk that the Niners took in saying, we're going Trey Lance, we're getting rid of Jimmy G, and we're doing it right now this season? Oh, boy. Um, so I'm a little bit worried. I mean, there's, there's an element of, like, burning the boats, right? Like, you're, you, Trey Lance is our guy, we're going forward. Uh, Joe Montana was on Slow News Day, which is a video, video series we do um, at The Ringer, and he basically said, Trey Lance is not ready, and when he talks to people in San Francisco and the organization, he, they, they think he's not ready, too. Um, and I think that, that started kind of a week-long firestorm. It was a slow time on the calendar. Um, you know how that goes with the media. Um, but it worries me because there's no insurance policy. You have to remember, mm-hmm. Sarah, when Mahomes took over for Alex Smith, first of all, Alex Smith is better than Garoppolo. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty safe in saying that Mahomes is better than Trey Lance, unless Trey Lance can be the best quarterback uh, in the modern era. Um, but Brett Beach said that Trey, I'm sorry, Brett Beach said that, that Patrick Mahomes was the best quarterback he's ever seen. Um, and in practice, it was legendary how good he was. And everybody was saying that Mahomes was making some of the best uh, plays they'd ever seen in the history of, you know, there were guys like Chad Henney 
who've been around everywhere who are saying Mahomes is playing as well as, as anybody's ever seen at the NFL level. I haven't heard those stories about Trey Lance. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm just saying that there isn't that same amount of hype to the point that people have been entertaining the idea of what happens if Garoppolo comes back. What happens if Garoppolo is an insurance policy and just sticks around in case that roster is ready to win now and Trey Lance isn't. So that, to me, is the concern. Um, that, I mean, you wanted, me, you wanted me to kind of rate the risk. I mean, it's, it's not a 10 out of 10 because it's not like we're, we're, we're banking on a McCown brother here. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's a solid – Six and a half, seven, Sarah, out yeah. of ten. Yeah. Uh, nice name drop, by the way. Uh, excellent. Uh, good good Joe Montana ref. Uh, Kevin Clark, <laughs> ringer, senior writer, at by Kevin Clark is where you could find him. 30 seconds or less. Does Tom Brady have the weapons to try to run it back? Yep, he does. Uh, I mean, I, I, you want me to expand, I think. Uh, but, you know, Chris <laughs> Godwin, when he's healthy. Mike Evans, I mean, uh, generational. Russell Gage, great signing. You, the reason... Tom Brady came back when he did was for free agency, Sarah. Like, he wanted to be able to get some of those guys back. I don't know if Ali Marpet retires, if he, if, if he knows that uh, there's not going to be a reset. Um, it's a little bit different. But he gets Russell Gage and he gets some of those guys. He's got the weapons. Um, I don't, you know, Todd Bowles, I think, is a good coach. I, it's a crowded NFC. But, yeah, I would not be surprised at all if he's playing a Phoenix next year. And I think Gronk is going to be back, so we can add him to the list. No, Kevin, has there ever I, been a more fake retirement? Everybody <laughs> who knows Gronk is like, yeah, he'll be back. It's fine. His agent, his girlfriend, eh, yep. it's fine. Yeah, he'll yep. be back in November. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I haven't gotten an invite to his second retirement party yet, so that's what I'm gauging on. <laughs> Let me know when the invite hits, and I'll tell you I've changed my mind. This is hey. If there's no Gronk Cruz this summer, he's not right. retired. Right, that's my beat, Kevin, okay? Stay away from my I beat. I know it is. It's retirement that's... parties and cruises. Uh, Kevin, <laughs> thanks for the insight. Appreciate it. Awesome, Sarah. Awesome stuff from Kevin Clark, the Ringer senior NFL writer. Follow him, read him. He does fantastic work. Also, tune into an NL battle Sunday as the Mets host the Padres. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball begins at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, and at 7 p.m. on ESPN. It's a solo Spain and Fitz. Tonight we'll get you caught up with some key NFL storylines, including the Browns' strategy of backup quarterback that took a twist I didn't expect. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We thought today might be the day we got a Friday news dump from the NFL and the independent investigator about Deshaun Watson, but that has come and gone unless they really plan on a late Friday news dump. So we will continue to wait on the news of his punishment. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, reports are that Deshaun Watson will report to training camp ahead of the ruling on his future this season. Uh, quarterbacks and team rookies arrived at the training facility. Camp starts tomorrow. Rest of the team will join them early next week for regular camp, which starts on Wednesday. And Sue Robinson, who's a retired federal judge, is the one who we're all waiting to hear from. For the first time, the NFL has a jointly paid investigator in Robinson, paid by both the league and the Players Association, who will make the ruling after interviews and, and receiving all the information. At first, most of the reports indicated that the NFL and the Players Association were not likely to appeal her decision based on not wanting to undermine this procedure in its very first year in implementation. But lately what we've been hearing is that Deshaun Watson will fight whatever the punishment is. He's been accused, as you likely know, uh, in civil lawsuits by 25 women. I believe four of those 
remain active and are on track to go to trial next year. So this is not over. And I do want to remind people um, to look up the details of the cases and not simply read the headlines. I fear that there will be a lighter suspension than what we've seen, for instance, for gambling on games or for deflating footballs or even for ter terrifically terrible incidents that are one-time decisions, like DUIs, which are potentially fatal and always a bad decision. But in that moment, you have made a mistake and a terrible decision. Allegedly, Deshaun Watson made that decision over and over and over again, and I would ask the NFL what proof they have to believe that he isn't continuing to do so and won't in the future. When we talk about domestic violence, when we talk about sexual assault, when we talk about partner, intimate partner violence, all of that stuff, the question is not simply to punish for performative sake or for PR, but to also be transparent in the reasons that you believe this person should be allowed to be back in a locker room, back on a field, back in a uniform, and ask your fans to cheer for them. Ask their teammates to play alongside them. Ask their coaches and staff to work with them. And that doesn't get often discussed. David Dennis Jr. wrote a nice piece about that. You know, the teammates of Deshaun Watson, who are just expected to fall in line, regardless of how they might feel about his actions. I've written stories about that before. How many players were willing to come forward and say that Colin Kaepernick was wrong, and that was bad for America and the flag and veterans and police, but stay completely silent on teammates that are credibly accused and even charged with things like rape and domestic violence. So I just want us to think about that when this punishment comes out. Not just what's the punishment, but what are the Browns telling us about why we should believe that when that punishment is over, he's done any work on this? that there is any belief that he will not continue the alleged behaviors. I think that's important. In the meantime, the Browns have signed Josh Rosen to a one-year deal. You know, 10th pick in the 2018 draft was in a terrible situation with the Cardinals, gets replaced by Kyler Murray, floats around, ends up with the Falcons, had just, you know, 11 passes in total, completed two of them with two interceptions. Not a great look. He's only 25, though, and he's been with five teams already since he was drafted out of UCLA, and I root for him. Uh, you know, Kevin Clark seems to think he's not likely to be the answer or stick around, especially if the Browns end up learning of a lengthy suspension for Deshaun Watson and deciding that they need a better answer. And they decide to go with someone like Jimmy Garoppolo because they believe they can win now. They don't want to waste a season if Deshaun is out for the whole season or most of it. So we wait and see on that. And it might be a good answer for Jimmy G, who's still a productive quarterback who could take you pretty far with a good roster. In the meantime, I'm just hoping for Josh Rosen. This is going to sound very motherly. I don't have kids, but I just want him to have a good time. I want him to feel welcomed on the roster. I want him to feel a, a achievement because he spent his whole life working towards something, and so far he just hasn't really gotten a fair shake. And I know there's plenty of players like that. He's just a high-profile one, but uh, I'm hoping that it's a good place for him to land. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. The other story that hit today in the NFL that had a lot of people talking, including my boy Fitz, who did a sports beat but did not show up for the show, um, so cool, um, he talked about the Patriots not naming offensive or defensive coordinators and how he thought this was finally a, a step too far for the egos of Bill Belichick and that team not wanting to do things the way everybody else does. Now, to be fair, you don't need either coordinator right now. You're not calling any plays. There aren't any games. And Belichick said in March, I'm not big on titles. We have jobs to do. We'll do the jobs. Do your job is one of his favorite sayings. Do your job, no days off, etc. I wonder if any of it has to do with Matt Patricia, 
who is now called a senior football advisor, preferring that title to going backwards from a head coach back to coordinator. I know that's happened before. Maybe there's some level of respect for Patricia and his role with the Patriots in the past that he preferred to be called a senior football advisor to coordinator. We also know that Belichick's son is a high-level employee of, of the defensive side who may be the play caller, except for they never tell us who's calling defensive plays. And maybe there was concern about nepotism if he was named the official defensive coordinator. But if he has that job without the title, maybe no one cares. Either way, when Fitz did his sports beat, I don't know if he looked back to learn that the last team who had a season without officially named defensive and offensive coordinators was the Patriots in 2010. And they were 14-2 and two with the top-ranked offense in the league and I believe eighth-ranked defense. So he has figured out, Belichick, somehow a system that's missing the guardrails that most people would assume are necessary in order for people to know their place, their job, their accountability, who to point the fingers at, etc. Will that work without Tom Brady? I don't know. Will it matter now that his son has a higher position or that Matt Patricia's back from a different gig? I don't know. Joe Judge is involved in the mix there. It's a wait and see, but I think Bill Belichick has probably earned at least the benefit of the doubt. We'll wait and see if it changes, if things go differently. Patriots hoping they don't need coordinators to get in the zone. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Two days continues next with the Niners. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We continue two a days here on ESPN Radio with the Niners. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Let's get out to Nick Wagner, our ESPN 49ers reporter. You can follow him at N Wagner on Twitter. I just asked another guest this question, Kevin Clark, and I want your answer. No equivocating because I need a number. How much do you agree with the decision to put all faith in Trey Lance and get rid of Jimmy G? Like you want a percentage number, Sarah? Yeah, like a 1 through 10, or you could do you know, a percentage. I guess that's an important metric <laughs> well, see, like to offer you before the question. The defense would be me saying 50% or 5, right? right. So uh, that's probably where I would come in, though, honestly. It's, it's crazy, Sarah, because we live in a world where everything either has to be the greatest of all time or it has to be trash. And everyone wants answers right now. And I think there, there is a correct answer on – on Trey Lance and it's, we don't know. And, and there's only one way to find out is to see him do it. So I do agree with, I think it's time for them to turn it over to him, to give him the opportunity because the only way they're going to find out if he can be that guy is to play. Uh, you can say it's beneficial for him to sit and do all those things and learn from Jimmy Garoppolo. He had that. It, it worked for a year. Could it work for two years? I think it would be a little bit tougher, maybe a lot tougher. Uh, so I think that, I think they are doing the right thing and giving Trey Lance the opportunity to take the reins and see where he goes because he certainly elevates what their ceiling could be. The danger, of course, is that he also drops what their floor could be. You know, I'm I'm kind of wondering if you agreed or I guess what did you make of the decision to not use him very much last year and, and to decide that they were willing to go all in this year without seeing much in regular, regular season or, or playoffs? Yeah, I thought it was a little weird, Sarah, just because the Niners themselves were the ones that were kind of, in the preseason especially, pumping up the idea that, they would at least sprinkle Trey Lance in, um, you know, packages where he could run and certain things. And we saw that in week one, um, and then they just kind of stopped it. And Kyle Shanahan said that that was something that uh, was more on him. He felt like it was it was throwing off potential rhythm for Jimmy Garoppolo and that Trey Lance wasn't going to get enough work for it to really be meaningful anyway. So I thought that was strange, particularly because it was very clear that their plan all along was to, for better or worse, follow 
the 2017 Chiefs plan, which is when they had Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes, they were going to keep Garoppolo for another year. They were going to, they were going to let Lance uh, learn from him for the season and then turn it over to him. And then they kind of switched that up in the middle of training camp, and I thought that was a bit strange. Now, the other thing people need to remember about Trey Lance last year, and this is something the Niners should be concerned about as they turn the keys over to him, is he was hurt a lot. Like, he got hurt in a couple of – he didn't play that much, and he got hurt when he did. He, he broke that finger of his uh, in the preseason, and that set him back a little bit. Uh, and then he had a knee injury against Arizona in his first start in, in week five, and it took a little bit of time for that. And Trey Lance himself has said that, that that finger actually was kind of a lingering thing for him throughout the season. So um, that is another kind of question mark, and it's a particularly scary one for the 49ers, considering that the biggest reason that they went and got Trey Lance right. is because Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't stay healthy. <laughs> Nick Wagner, ESPN 49ers reporter with me here. I want to move on to other parts of the team, but I want to quickly ask, are you hearing anything about how Trey Lance looked? I mean, we've got uh, Joe Montana back at Super Bowl Media Day saying he's not ready, and we don't really have a lot of leaks from people on on how he looks. Yeah, well, what I've heard, Sarah, and I think that uh, this I, I've written about this a little bit, but uh, you know, in early in training camp last year, they were really surprised, I think pleasantly surprised, at how far along he seemed to be. And then he tapered off a little bit midway through camp and some of the accuracy things and um, just some of that stuff that, that, you know, you had concerns about coming out of the draft kind of popped up. And, and I think he kind of held at about where he was at the end of camp through that first part of the season. But people I talked to both on and off the record, starting in about late November, right around Thanksgiving, were really pleased with where he had progressed to. He started against Houston, you know, obviously not a good opponent, but a game that they had to win at the end of the year, and he went out and got the job done, had a solid game, nothing spectacular, but not bad. They won the game. They ended up going to the playoffs, going to the NFC Championship game. And then this offseason, I think the 49ers have been really pleased with where he's been in terms of being invested, putting the time in, and, and doing all those things. But um, I, I honestly, Sarah, I really think that if you if you ask the 49ers, put the truth serum in him and said, do you think he's ready? I think their answer would be they don't know uh, because I, I really think nobody truly knows until they see it on the field. At N. Wagoner is where you can follow him on Twitter. We're doing two-a-days talking Niners. Feels like the Flames have cooled on the Debo Samuel uh, demands and that he's likely to return uh, and that all is sort of well beyond the actual signing of a contract, yes? Yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would hedge a little bit and say um, I'm still curious to see if they get an actual long-term deal done. I, I do think hmm. Debo Samuel is going to play for the 49ers this season one way or the other, but under whether that's under the last year of his current contract or on a new deal, I think kind of remains to be seen. I think there are some issues that, that Debo had, had concerns about and, and they tried to fix. And obviously he was there um, at the mini camp, the mandatory mini camp they had in June, which, you know, that's the first really like benchmark where he could have got fined for not being there. So he certainly had financial reasons to show up, but, he was there. I was there. And, and just watching him, he seemed to be invested. He, was, you know, he didn't participate, but he was watching with a play sheet and joking around. He, at one point, he was even playing catch with Kyle Shanahan's son on the sideline. So it does seem like there's been a little bit of cooling of tensions, but I think those tensions could ramp back up if they can't find common ground and get a deal done. I still think that's probably the most likely outcome, but I would just say that I, I think there are still some things that they've got to work through to get it done. It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight on a Friday. Let's say Trey Lance is fine. He's got peaks, he's got valleys, not that consistent, Mm -hmm. but not terrible and not too great. Where do you look at this roster and say this could be the reason they'll be quite good or or perhaps underperform? 
Yeah, it's it's tied to Trey Lance in the sense that it's a very important thing, and it's something that I, I, I've written about a lot in this offseason, and I, I wonder about is the interior of their offensive line. And I know that's not a sexy topic to talk about, but they, Alex Mack, their longtime center, uh, you know, one of the best centers of the league in the last 15 years or so, has retired, so they have to replace him. Their left guard, Lakin Tomlinson, who was a pro bowler last year, left in free agency for the New York Jets. And then you would argue that right guard Daniel Brunskill was probably the weak link of that offensive line last year, and so he's back. So you've got three positions where you've got either a returning starter who struggled a bit last year or two new starters, and they really, quite frankly, didn't do much, especially at center to replace Mack. They've got a journeyman center named Jake Brendel, who's most likely to be the one who steps in there. Um, and then you've got left guard Aaron Banks, who was a second-round pick a year ago, but you know he's a second-round pick who didn't play as a rookie, and that always kind of – raises some red flags on whether he's actually going to succeed or not. So um, that is a big, a big question mark for them. And I think uh, they have the talent certainly to go back to the NFC championship game to be in that kind of mix. If like you said, Trey Lance is fine. Um, but I think that's a huge question that is, is certainly directly tied to Trey Lance and his ability to perform this year. Yeah, obviously when we talk offensive line play, a lot of the first places we look are protection. Um, but if Trey Lance wants to work a lot in play action and they can't be creative with the run mm-hmm. because of that drop-off in offensive line play, then they've set him up for less success. And, you know, looking at the statistics, they were among the worst in the league on short run plays last year, and that's a place yeah. that you'd think that Trey Lance would be able to help them, but only if the offensive line and the run game can set them up for those situations. Uh, that's certainly an interesting place to watch. Nick Wagner, ESPN 49ers reporter with us here on Spain and it's solo Spain on a Friday. So what's the expectation? Where do we actually feel like is living up to expectations and or not a disappointing year for this Niners team in Trey Lance's first season? Yeah, honestly, and it's probably unfair to Trey Lance because it is his first season as a starter, but I think anything short of the Super Bowl will be a disappointment, uh, certainly amongst the fan base, just because of where they've been two of the last three years, you know, and, and you've got a lot of the key roster pieces that were around for those runs are still here. And so, um, yeah, in, in your mind, it could be, well, Trey Lance is going to have his ups and downs, but is that an excuse to not be right in the mix at the end of the year? I don't know that, that at least Niners fans feel that way. I don't think the Niners feel that way either because when they went and got Trey Lance and decided to keep Jimmy Garoppolo, it was trying to find that kind of balancing act between we're going to compete this year, but we're also going to be ready to continue to compete for the long haul and hoping that Trey Lance can kind of extend that window for them. Well, they're still right in that window. So um, I think that is the expectation to at least get back to the Super Bowl, certainly to get to the playoffs. But um, there are big expectations around here. As you can imagine, there always are with a franchise like this that has had the history of success that they had, even if it's been a long time since they've won a Super Bowl. So um, I, I think that is kind of where they're at right now. And I think that's really what their goal has to be because they've got a lot of decisions and and big pieces who are going to be making a lot of money here in the very near future, and they need to try to capitalize while Trey Lance is not one of those people making a ton of money. Nick Wagner with me here on Spain and Fitz. Before I let you go, I want to ask, I think Jimmy G has really handled himself well in this situation of being Mm -hmm. replaced by Trey, saying goodbye. Now he's sort of in no man's land. The surgery won't have him cleared until August. He'll likely go on the pup list when camp begins, which makes it easier for the Niners. But what team do you see picking him up and picking up that contract? Yeah, I think the one thing people really need to understand here is because there's so much talk about the contract. And um, I understand that. But at the same time, Jimmy Garoppolo has zero guaranteed dollars on his contract right now. So, if you're the 49ers and you release him, you realize a savings of about $25 million 
um, because the only hit that they would take is the 1.4 million left that's prorated signing bonus from way back when. So when when you see the reports that the 49ers have been uh, granted permission to Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, represent, representatives to find a deal for him, that's not that's that happened in March. Like that's been that's been the case for a long time. But it matters now, of course, because he's starting to get healthy and he's starting to get there. But a big part of the reason that that is important news is that those agents now have the opportunity to go to teams and say, we can start talking about what numbers might look like on a renegotiated contract. And, and the people would say, well, what's Jimmy Garoppolo's incentive to take a pay cut? Well, the incentive is, is that he has zero guaranteed dollars. So even if someone were to offer say $10 million guaranteed, that's better than the zero that he would get from the 49ers if he were to be released. And it's probably about what he would get on an open market anyway. So um, I don't think that, that that part of, you know, the Niners are going to have to eat into this money. And all that stuff. I don't know that that is necessarily a big part of the deal. It's very different than, say, the Baker Mayfield situation where almost all of that money was guaranteed. So it gives them a little bit more flexibility that way. Is there a team that makes a lot of sense as we sit here right now? Probably not. You know, Seattle, would the Niners be willing to do that? I don't know that they would necessarily shy away from it if they could get something decent. We've seen interdivision trades before, Donovan McNabb is an example of fairly recently. So I think that's possible, but unlikely probably. Cleveland, I think you kind of wait to see how the Deshaun Watson thing plays out. Maybe that becomes an option. And then the other thing is just, quite frankly, if there's an injury, if you get a situation like, you know, right. a few years ago when Sam Bradford or t- stepped in uh, in Minnesota when Teddy Bridgewater got hurt, something like that plays out. But um, there's not an obvious one, Sarah. Otherwise, um, I think it would probably already be done. Awesome stuff, Nick. Thank you so much for doing this on a Friday night and enjoy your weekend. You got it, Sarah. Take care. Nick Wagner. Follow him at nwagner on Twitter. Coming up, Tim Kirkshans getting honored tomorrow in Cooperstown. Some great stories from Tim next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, it's a Friday night. You got Solo Spain, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Get to some of your great responses for the three things that you would want on your favorite team's championship ring to represent the team or the city in just a bit. But I wanted to take this moment to shout out one of my favorite colleagues, Tim Kirkshen, who everybody sort of knows for being a baseball savant. The guy's memory is insane. He can rattle off stats for every letter of the alphabet for every major statistic in baseball history. He's got a memory that's out of this world when he talks about all of the games he's attended, the moments he's seen live, the players he's spoken to, and he truly loves baseball in a way that few do. Well, he will be honored in Cooperstown this weekend alongside Hall of Famers. He was very careful to say on ESPN Daily with Pablo today, I'm not a real Hall of Famer. I'm just getting a career excellence award from the BBWAA. But as Pablo pointed out, that seems like an unnecessary thing to point out. You are absolutely being inducted into Cooperstown along with the players that you've covered and loved. And on the interview, uh, Tim talked about um, his likelihood of crying, that he's practiced his speech about 100 times, and he cries every time talking about his parents and his brother and the game and the people who have helped him along the way, but that he cried when he went to visit Cooperstown a day or so ago just to get a feel for the space that he'd be in and sat down and immediately waterworks. I just took a trip to Cooperstown last Tuesday and Wednesday. I've been there a hundred times, of course, but mm. I just wanted to see where the venues are, where a speech is going to be made, what the town looks like. And I just wanted to make sure I understood what I'm getting into here. And I don't care how corny this sounds. I went into the theater at the museum at the Hall of Fame, and they have a 15-minute movie about 
the history of baseball, just how great the game is. And within 45 seconds, I was crying within 45 <laughs> seconds of this movie starting. And it just showed me again that the shared interest that people have in baseball, especially in Cooperstown, is what separates it and I believe this sport from the others. You know, I know football's more popular and basketball's more popular now, but baseball goes so much further back than anything else. And there are people who have lived their lives through this game and I'm one of them. So Hall of Famer, I'm not technically a Hall of Famer. I'm being honored by the Hall of Fame, but Johnny Bench is a Hall of Famer. I'm not, but it's <laughs> kind of the same idea. It's definitely the same idea. And I love hearing about the Motion Hill Field. Tim came on my podcast years ago and he was a regular visitor to the Levitard show where they did all sorts of bits with him, like the looks like game that got him cackling stories. Like he would talk about a recurring nightmare he had where he was at the free throw line of a basketball game, but instead of a basketball in his hands, it was a very heavy down winter coat. And everyone was watching as he attempted to score this winter coat. Uh, he's full of great stories. Here's one of the ones he told on my podcast. That's what she said. This is a crazy stat that I saw. So Every day of the Major League Baseball season from 1990 until 2010, you cut out every Major League Baseball box score out of a newspaper and taped them into a spiral notebook. You once estimated this daily task, 15 minutes a day over 20 seasons, consumed 40 days worth of your life, and you eventually stopped only because the newspaper stopped printing box scores. What was the point of this exercise? Well... First off, I'm an idiot, number one. <laughs> it was my way of trying to keep up with all 30 teams at the same time. It was really important to me. I'm a very visual guy. I need to write stuff down. I need to see it. I need to touch it. And I could feel it better when I clipped the box scores and carried them with me year by year wherever I was going. So if I was flying, say, from Maryland to San Diego to do something on the Padres, I could look through every Padre box score in my box score book and at least have a working knowledge of a team that maybe I haven't seen in the last month. That was kind of the idea. Box scores are my favorite things in the world anyway. So having them with me was gave me great comfort. And I will tell you, Sarah, and I'm not proud of any of this, but I never <laughs> missed a day in 20 years. So in other mm. words, I never did two days in one. Wow. And one night, this is the worst. It's a miracle <laughs> I'm still married. But uh, one night at 11.45, I realized I forgot to do my box score book. I got out of bed. I was asleep. My wife was asleep. And I got up and went into my office and cut out a day's worth of box scores, taped them in my book to keep the record, to keep the streak alive, a streak <laughs> way more impressive than anything Cal Ripken did. My <laughs> wife's look on her face when I got back to bed, it was like, how could I possibly have married such an unfathomable <laughs> geek as this? That was probably the low point of my box score book, although I will tell you, I kept them in my closet at home and the weight of 15 years of box score books collapsed my closet <laughs> and I got home from a road trip and all my suits and all my all my beautiful clothes were like covered with plaster I had to get a bunch of them replaced and it's not easy to find 38 short on the rack by the way 
and my brother Matt had to come over and fix my closet, which was destroyed by my box score books. Oh, there's so many good stories in that podcast. It's honestly one of my all-time favorites, and I've done 350-something episodes, so go back and find it. He also tells a great story about when he was getting beat on stories when he was a beat reporter, driving to the woods with his dogs and just screaming into the forest how frustrated he was. Uh, congrats, Tim Kirchin. We love you. Uh, real quick, we asked you some of the things you'd want on your team's Super Bowl or NBA ring or whatever. I got a Primanti sandwich, a can of Iron City, and a bridge for the for the Steelers. Love that. Space Needle, Rain, Nirvana. Good one. We got, um, I like this one for Chicago because I love this. The Sleeve Stripe with GSH, Georgia, Hallis, and Diamonds. The Skyline, and of course, the Bears C. Chicago Flag Portillo's Pizza. That's decent. Uh, Fleur de Lis, Mardi Gras Beads, and the Dome. Not too bad. Uh, so you guys came up with some good ones. You can check them out at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz. And congrats to me for making it through the show without needing this drop. Help me. Oh. Um, I have a really terrible cough, and I did not once need Bomani. Help me. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.